Hello and welcome to the OME Talks podcast, where we do quick previews of our upcoming members-only webinars. I'm your host, David Petro, and this month we are talking with Kathy Chaput as she gives us a preview of her upcoming webinar, Count on Great Assessment. These webinars are repeats of sessions from our most recent provincial conference, OME 2021. So without further ado, let's get right to it. Okay, hello and welcome. I'm here with Kathy Chaput. Uh, Kathy, how are you doing? I'm great, thanks, David. How are you? Good. Uh, Kathy, I wonder if you could tell us a little bit about yourself and what you do and what your connection to mathematics is. Sure. Okay, so I am currently a program coordinator at the Wellington Catholic District School Board in Guelph. I have um, taught with Wellington Catholic for my whole career, and um, I was fortunate enough to get a program position that initially was targeted at all subject areas from grades four to eight. So when I got that job, I was super, super excited about many of the curriculum areas, but actually pretty nervous about the math part. So I felt like it was my professional responsibility, since that was part of my portfolio, to begin to get more confident with the math. So I felt like really good about the way that I had taught language or science, but I just felt like I maybe hadn't done math the justice that I needed to. So I started taking AQ courses and becoming involved with professional organizations. And and basically, I made it my my mission to, to become more confident in supporting math learning, but also being a math learner myself. So I think a lot of that kind of was a bit of a uh, holdover from when I was uh, when I was a student because I had felt like I was a really really good math student until I got to grade eleven and I hit Euclidean geometry and virtually overnight I decided that I wasn't a good math learner and I better avoid as much math as I could for the rest of my life so it just sort of I guess helped me as an adult learner to see how important it is for, first of all, for, for us to recognize that we, uh, we can always learn and, and, you know, we learn in different ways, but also, I guess, just how, how challenging it is if you don't have conceptual understanding and, and I had relied so much on my memory. So anyway, I basically, as an adult, fell in love with math and now I, I'm just passionate about it. I think one of the things too that is sort of interesting is that um, the, I guess the more I learned and the more conversations I had with math leaders and the more courses I took, the more I realized that um, there's lots of stuff that I still, you know, don't necessarily understand as well as I want to, but I actually find that exciting now instead of frightening. I think it's interesting, um, that idea that, you know, at some point you're going to reach a place in mathematics and maybe in any subject where things become difficult. And I think for many of our students, wherever that place is, it can, it can be devastating. I think we have to do a better job as a teaching community to help students realize that like, that's just the way, you know, like at some point things are going to get more difficult. and. Yep. And we just have to deal with that and we move on. Yeah. 
you know, for some for some students, it's early on in, in elementary, and for other school students, it, it may not happen until they they get to university, and and it can it just can be psychologically uh, uh, a problem for many for many students, and it, it's you know, I and I think you know we're going to be talking about assessment today, and I think assessment seems to be the big uh, anchor pin for that happening. Yeah. 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 And, and I think too, that um, when you, when you start sort of digging into math pedagogy more and, and you start realizing that that moment of not understanding, I mean, that is, like you said, that is actually when learning is taking place. So if everything is coming really easily, it means you're only accessing content that you already understand. But I think we are so worried about making people uncomfortable or making them, you know, that, that we, well, I guess like Dan Myers talks about it as, you know, like we, we, you know, pave, pave the way and then compliment people for stepping over the cracks. Right. I mean, it, it, you know, I think it's really important that we start to redefine learning as being a little bit out of your comfort zone. And that's not a new idea. Like I remember that from university with Vygotsky and the zone of proximal development. But I think we do worry about pushing people into that area of dissonance. I, I always liken it to um, exercise and the idea of, um, you know, even learning a new skill in sports. You know, there there are, you know, you can have a lot of, of ability already that allows you to pick up a new skill very easily. And um, I don't think in, in that, in that respect, you, you haven't really gotten better as an, as an athlete. You're just basically reusing the same tools in a different form. And, and that, that, uh, that cliche phrase, no pain, no gain is true in exercise as it is with uh, learning. And, you know, if, if you're not uncomfortable, yeah. you're not building new neural connections. Um, yeah, that's a great point. And, and uh, <laughs> you know, that, 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 there's a, there's a physical analogy to exercises, I think is exactly how our brain works. Yep. So this is the OME Talks podcast. And I always, I always ask our guests uh, how they first either heard about or learned or got involved with OME. So I guess I first learned about OME um, through attending the conferences, the annual conferences, which I've been going to for over 15 years. And then it's, you know, the math community is, I would say, the most welcoming community in the world. Those relationships, people are just so welcoming and so affirming. And so the more you got to know sort of some of the OAME executive and the board of directors, the more welcome you felt to become a part of it. So I actually was on the board of directors for a little bit. That was around 10 years ago. But I mean, it's funny, I was looking at the OAME website and in ye old archives on the website, there's this visual, you know, who's who. And, and to me, these are people that I that I that I continue to see as being active in math and continue they're they're like my math heroes so you know um, Ralph Connolly is on there as a pre president and Peter Saramaki and Shirley Dalrymple and Kathy Kubota Zarivny's there Kathy Hall Paul Alves like these are people that are are still my math heroes David Petro's on there <laughs> Jill Lazarus <laughs> like just there's just 
it's such an incredibly active, vibrant community. And I guess as I come to, you know, the end of my career, I, I love the fact that so many of the people that are involved have remained involved even in retirement, which I find to be inspiring and hopeful. So it's an amazing organization. Yeah, I, I have to. I have to agree. Um, you know, I, I was, I, you know, I look back and I, I didn't really get involved with the OME until I was probably maybe eight years into my teaching career, and and really haven't looked back since. But it it has that involvement has been so rewarding, and it has really uh, gave, given me a lot of growth and and made me uncomfortable at times, and and that's a good thing. Uh, so yeah, I'm 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 quite um, quite um, happy with with all the interactions that I've had, and and you're right that the the community in Ontario is is just spectacular. Now speaking of the community in Ontario, we uh, at OME Talks are like to feature talks from previous OME conferences. Last year, OME 2021 was uh, had the theme of equity counts. And uh, you did a talk called Count on Great Assessment. And that's what we're really here to talk about today. So, Kathy, I wonder if you could give us a little bit of an idea of what that talk was about to give us a preview of your OME webinar coming up this month. Yeah, sure. So uh, what I decided to do with, so I'll, I'll t- first of all, I'll tell you a little secret about my OAME presentations is that what I try to do to challenge my own professional growth is I always try and propose a topic that I feel like I need to do some learning and growing in because it motivates me to, like it keeps me accountable to make sure that by May, I've done that learning and thinking and processing and growing. So um, assessment, I don't know that it's a topic that we ever entirely feel comfortable with in, in our teaching. And, and I think it's actually good that we don't. Like, I think, I think we always should be striving to learn and grow. So what I, was, what I decided to do with this presentation is I wanted to look at assessment, but I wanted to look at it from a slightly different lens. So I don't know if I was partly inspired by the fact that I'm a, a huge Raptors fan and was watching a lot of basketball at that point. And um, basketball's been really a big um, factor in my own family as well. So I thought, okay, so how is really great assessment like coaching a basketball team? So I sort of used that analogy and and wove that through the presentation. So um, I guess like one of the things that I that I sort of launch with is some quotes from um, Coach John Wooden. So he's a an NCAA basketball coach. Um, which, you know, in and of itself is is very cool. But the thing that I find cool about him is that his he he was a real inspiration to others. So I personally think that our role as educators with assessment, both for our own professional growth, but also for our students, is to inspire. So I think we need to inspire and challenge ourselves to move forward in the practices we use. And I also think we need to use assessment to inspire our students. So I kind of, the presentation sort of follows the pathway around what you would be doing if you were putting together a basketball team. So, so there's, there's a few ideas around, you know, like as you're preparing for that first tryout, what are some things that you need to keep in mind? So that's almost like pre-diagnostic assessment, like before you get there. So we talk a little bit about that. Part of the reason for that is that I think, you know, with any tryout, 
coaches aspire to be as um, fair and transparent as possible. And so I think we need to, as educators, before we enter into any assessment opportunity, I think we need to make sure that we're really clear ourselves um, as to what we're looking for and also just that we um, that we're as fair as we can be in terms of um, the learners that are ahead of us. So now the diagnostic I sort of liken to tryouts, which is a, a little bit of a stretch because obviously we don't make decisions about who's in and who's out in our classroom based on our diagnostics. So that one's like the part that's sort of, you know, you have to give me a little bit of leeway on. But um, I guess I do sort of see a diagnostic as a triode in the sense that um, it does help you to identify for each of the students where they're starting from. And a lot of times in tryouts, you know, you you show kids, um, you know, maybe a, maybe, maybe a a different way to do a layup or something like that, or, you know, something that, and then you watch also for their coachability. So I feel like you're also within that diagnostic assessment that you do in your classroom. I think you're looking for ability, but I think you're also looking for other things like how, how to best support that learner, you know, what, what kinds of things are the most helpful. And then I, I liken formative assessment to the practices that we do. So I kind of use that framework to talk about how you can embed formative assessment. So what I, what I always try and do in my presentations is ensure that there's lots of ideas that people can take away and use in their classrooms. And then I, I sort of thought, okay, so a sum, the summative assessment that we do is kind of like when you schedule a team for tournaments at various points of the year. You know, you, you do it so that you're, you're seeing how far they come, they've come, but you're also learning what things you still need to work on. So I still sort of see a summative assessment as being a component of that, you know, providing us with information about the learners, but also about our own teaching and the way that we can continue to circle through and, and support understanding of various concepts. And then at some point, you're always going to reach the end of the season, whether it's a championship or the finals of a tournament or something like that. And at that point, you just watch everything come together and look at how that takes place. So I sort of liken that to the moments when we have to pause and and do some sort of evaluation, you know, progress report time, the end of term one, the end of term two, that kind of thing. So that's basically what my presentation kind of covers. So it's interesting that you're using a basketball analogy in the sense that, you know, I often use this story from my childhood uh, when I talk about both assessment and learning in the classroom of being in, you know, I, I like playing basketball. I was never really that good uh, at playing basketball. And that was very, uh, um, very obvious, at least I thought to me, uh, even in elementary, like I was pretty good in practice. I could follow the plays you know, uh, in, you know, the, the, the plays that the coaches set up in practice, but yeah. when it came to game time, the plays didn't match what was going on, on the, on the yeah. field. And, and as, yeah. as much, yeah. uh, you know, as much practice as I did of the, these very, very, um, uh, regimented plays, it did not prepare me for the real world of the game. I, I, I distinctly remember one yeah. play and, and part of the play was I had to go set a pick at the top of the key. And 
I was really good at going to the top of key and setting a pick because at practice we had there was that was where the guy was. Yeah. And in the game, I went and went ahead and set the pick at the top of the key with nobody there. Yeah. <laughs> like, uh, I, I did what the, I did what the practice told me to do, but not understanding. I, I had no understanding of what that pick was for, and and you know, yeah. so uh, I failed that assessment uh, quite quite uh, quite spectacularly. <laughs> now I wonder when you're talking about the idea of assessment, are you going to be showing us some examples of how to to look at formative in in a way that will lead to the or sorry how the diagnostic might lead to the formative and to the summative or what can we what can we expect in that area yeah definitely yeah i I talk about how um i talk about even within diagnostic for example that um you know you 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 might your diagnostic might be curriculum based but it also might be concept based and how that then is going to inform your instruction like i think i think the most important thing for us to take away from assessment is that it's just a it's it's a it's a it's a cycle right it it it's not sort of a like a linear process where you do your diagnostic you do your formative you do your summative and then that's it like it i i feel like it should inform us at every point um and and i think there should be adaptation at every point so i will talk about how you might use your information from your diagnostic assessment to inform what you move into and then how you can use your formative assessment on an ongoing basis to make instructional decisions and to, you know, decide what comes next, even just in terms of using different forms of assessment like observations and conversations as well as products to assess so that you're getting a really fulsome view of the learner. Like I think one of the great things about the revision to the curriculum in 2020 is the addendum to the growing success math reporting requirement in in that I think it allows us to look at the learner in a more a more holistic way so we talk a little bit about how you might track your observations your conversations and you know use those to help to inform your view of that student as a as a whole math learner and and I think what's really important is this is the idea of allowing, you know, publicly allowing teachers to uh, move beyond just paper and pencil assessment. I think for many years that was seen as the way to assess. And, oh, absolutely. and I think yeah. we are now making strides in, in, in helping teachers recognize that assessment can come in many forms, you know, that triangulation of data. And yep. that is absolutely, absolutely a valid way to come up with a way to describe how a student has learned in your class. Oh, for sure. And and I think too, like I know when, when I was um, teaching intermediate, that one of the things that I felt sort of was the security of the test was that I could say to a parent, here, this is the mark and this is the test. And, you know, it, it was like, because I could prove it sort of, um, it helped to justify the marks. But I feel like now with observations and conversations, we're actually able to show parents how much we know their student as a learner. And really, I think as a parent, that's what you want. That's what you want to know. You want to know that your that your child's teacher really gets them, really understands them as a learner. And if I can show, um, you know, 
photos of, of some of the work that the student has done, or if I can, you know, play some audio of a conversation that we've had or, you know, those sorts of things. Um, if the student has uploaded something um, to their D2L site that helps me to talk to a parent about what, you know, what the student is doing. Like, I think we have to, I really do think we have to move beyond thinking of assessment as an accountability thing and thinking of it as a relationship. And that's really why I went into the analogy of the the coach of a team, it, because I've seen, like, I, I wasn't an athletic kid at all, but through my kids and my husband, I have seen the result of truly inspiring coaching. And I think that's what we need to aspire to with assessment. I, I think we need to move away from it being like a way to prove that you put the right mark on the report card to a way of encouraging kids to be lifelong learners, because that's really what is going to motivate them beyond your your classroom walls. I think the ironic thing about the, the idea of using... Um, numerical grades, especially in a mathematical course, you know, as you said, that when when you could calculate a grade based on these marks on a traditional test, I think for many people that was seen as like rock yeah. solid. You know that you know you look at you, you, the numbers don't lie. Mm-hmm. You know, and and I I think uh, the the fact that we even use percentages as an end result as a a, a number at the end of the course. It really does a disservice mm-hmm. to it because the, we, we have this precision of the percent that is seem, seems like it's important, but it's probably not. Like, I, I don't know that I can articulate to anyone what the difference is between someone who got an 84 and an 86 in my class. Yeah. Yet we take that as something very, very real. And mm-hmm. the ironic thing is when you get to know your students in more uh, in more uh, general terms or look at the the assessment beyond just that numerical grade you probably have a better idea of how of that student's ability than that mark seems to indicate but we're probably yeah. questioned more when we come up with a grade that isn't just based on paper and pencil uh, mm-hmm. it, it, it's mm-hmm. it's uh, we we have a lot of work to do you know just in the educational um, sphere to make that, I think, more meaningful and more, you know, more solid of a way to, to, to talk about how a student is learning. Yeah, for sure. And, and, you know, you could also use the, the basketball analogy. I I don't know too many coaches that are yelling out marks to, to players on the, uh, on the field of, uh, on the, on the court or the field uh, of how they're doing, you know, it, it is a, a way, way more softer way to, you know, describe what's going on. It's much more uh, fluid and, and less rigid as, as those numbers are going. Well, and it's also more instructive, right? I mean, if someone, if you, if I go up to shoot a layup, now that would be hilarious, but whatever. If I were, if I were to go up and shoot a layup and someone yelled out 72, like that doesn't tell me what I did well and what I didn't do well, right? Exactly. So, I mean, that's the other piece is that I think some, like you could, you know, if if I'm like, I think back to when I would be calculating marks ready for the end of a a term and, you know, the same, like two different students might've gotten 17 out of 25 on an assessment, but unless I've made some specific effort to note exactly what was different between those two students, it really doesn't tell me a lot about them. Okay, so we will be talking about assessment uh, on this month's 
webinar, or you will be talking about that. And so I appreciate you coming out and talking with us briefly to give us an idea of what uh, we should be looking for. So thank you, Kathy, for coming out. My pleasure. And we will see you in a couple of weeks at the OME webinar. That sounds great. Thank you. That was Kathy Chaput talking about her upcoming webinar, Count on Great Assessment, which will be on Wednesday, December 8th at 8 p.m. OAME members can register on our MCIS registration site. There's a link in the description. Next month, we'll be talking to Heather Teismeyer and Richard Duffy as they preview their webinar, Integers Beyond the Rules. So stay tuned for that. And in the meantime, stay safe.